Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Piscali. Thanks for joining me here on this episode after the Bills defeat the Kansas City Chiefs by a score of 20 to 17. You may have heard that little hint of laughter because in no way did I uh, did I think that uh, <laughs> this game would have ended the way that it did with the lateral that wasn't. But nonetheless, the Bills are victorious. They get themselves to seven and six. A lot of people were calling it must win. I must confess, I kind of hate that term because it wasn't must win just in the sense that they still have four games remaining and, you know, they still only would have been only a game out of both sixth and seventh of the playoffs um, had they lost in this game. But a win is humongous to their overall playoff outlook. And even though it didn't move them up in the standings by any spot, they are now in a, what is it, a six-team tie at seven and six for sixth and seventh. So there's a, there's a lot of things that can happen, a lot of variables down the stretch of these final four weeks. And certainly the Bills uh, have a somewhat solid look at it if they handle a couple of their games that they should handle. But we'll get, get into that more. But the Bills, the big story is the Bills win 20-17. to 17. It's it's uh, seemingly ridiculous that this Bills team have seemed to find the mix or the chemistry to win at Arrowhead Stadium in the regular season. This is now three straight regular season games that have gone the Bills way at Arrowhead. And... As rare as it is to win at Arrowhead, it's been even more rare to knock the Chiefs into a two-game losing streak. Since 2019, that has only happened twice before the Bills did it. It happened once in 2019 and then again in 2021. It has not happened since. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs since 2019, were 14-2 coming off a loss in their next game of that year. And the Bills managed to put that away to conduct a victory. And like I said, a much-needed one. And there's a lot of different things that stood out from this game. And I think you have to begin with Maybe the maybe the, the the defense just because of how good they looked, how embattled they have been late in the game, and the fact that they actually finished out a game 
uh, like this one in a, in a, against a team that you probably wouldn't think that they're going to do that against. Like they blew a lead against the Patriots. They blew a lead against the Broncos. And the Broncos are looking a lot better as of late, of course. They're now 7-6 and six in that schmozzle of teams. But against the Chiefs and the reputation that comes with it on the road at Arrowhead, like that stuff doesn't compute. And on top of all that, you have the Bills who were already down as many pieces on defense as they were. Tredavious White, Daquan Jones, Matt Milano. We all know those are the, the key three here. But also, Micah Hyde was, he wasn't ruled out, but he didn't return once they went to halftime. He was on the sideline, but did not play another snap the rest of the way. A.J. Apinesa, who is one of their core rotational defensive ends, picked off a pass in the first quarter. He only plays four defensive snaps on the game. So that's another two uh, two key defenders, one of which who plays 100% of snaps, the other of which plays probably around 40 to 50%. And it's putting more pressure on guys like Greg Rousseau, Leonard Floyd, uh, Taylor Rapp, who hasn't had a particularly great season. It forced Cam Lewis into action. A lot down the stretch. And coming into this game, like right after the Eagles game, after they blew that game, in which they should have won, and Josh Allen did enough to have won. But immediately after that game, according to True Media, the Bills' defense ranked second to last in both defensive EPA and th- and a third down conversion rate in the fourth quarter of or overtime of games in which the Bills are either up a score or tied with a team. Like that is a futile display or what it was heading into this game. But somehow they managed to kind of flip the script here. And it did not look promising at the beginning part of the second half, which is why I have to continue to give the defense credit. Chiefs come out after the Bills um, open up the second half with a possession. Bills get a field goal to make it 17-7. to The Chiefs immediately come out and march it down on... I believe it was like eight or nine plays, averaging around eight yards per play. I'll get it exactly. Averaging 8.3 yards per play on nine plays. March it down for a touchdown. It looked like, okay, this is where the Chiefs have made their adjustments. The defense is following that similar track where they are really good in the first half. A team makes their adjustments. And they figure out what works against the Bills defense. And that's where we start to see this become a bit more of an offense versus offense showing. That's been the pattern. But after that touchdown drive by the Chiefs, the defense played remarkably well. Now, they were gifted a, uh, I guess, a mulligan 
because Kadarius Tony had no awareness of where his foot was and where he was lined up on the play on the lateral that wasn't. But without when we're when we're looking at everything besides that Mulligan play, the Bills in the fourth quarter did not allow a single first down on a third down attempt. The, the Chiefs were 0 for 3 on third downs in the fourth quarter. They forced a turnover to end the third quarter. Christian Benford punched the ball out from Rasheed Rice. That was a huge play. They kept getting pressure on Mahomes with their front four, whether it be from the defensive ends, defensive tackles. Ed Oliver had another superb game. Made a huge play on the final drive of of the uh, of the game on third down to bat the pass down at the line. And then on top of it all, having some solid coverage down the field from guys like Christian Benford, Russell Douglas, it somehow all worked together against one of the most prolific quarterbacks in the league, who, by the way, his offense is struggling a bit this year, and they have failed to really find a true second target to Travis Kelsey. Rasheed Rice has been motioning in that direction. They featured a little bit more Kadarius Toney here in this game than they have in the past. Richie James was mixing in. Justin Watson was mixing in. Marquez Valdez-Scantling was vis- mixing in. But there wasn't nothing. There wasn't anything truly substantial besides Kelsey. And that's kind of been the entirety of their season here. But even still, it's it's Patrick Mahomes. It's, he is well known for pulling a rabbit out of the hat and being able to win games when it looks like the Chiefs should not be able to win games. And for a while, it looked like the Bills were in control, and but slowly the Chiefs were kind of chipping away. And, and once they were able to tie it up at, at 17 all, you're like, okay, this is where it starts to get real here. You know, they the Chiefs got that field goal drive to begin the fourth quarter. And that was kind of the tipping point here as to are, are the Bills going to let another opportunity slip away? Or is the offense going to step up? Because it looks like at that point, the Chiefs had scored 10 points in two out of three drives. So it looked like they were kind of still motioning towards a victory. So you almost felt like it had to be the offense to pull the Bills forward. But it wasn't. It wound up being the defense. The defense got that stop to force the field goal. The defense... Forced a three and out on the next drive. The defense, you know, lateral, that wasn't notwithstanding, was able to put aside a a relatively big gain to Rashi Rice um, on second down of that of that final drive. They forced an incompletion on, on first down. On 2nd and 15, another incompletion. 
on third and 15, it was the, the batted pass by Ed Oliver. And then fourth and 15, getting off the field and getting consistent pressure on Mahomes, that play wasn't even close on fourth and 15. So you have to give full credit to the defense for stepping up in the way that they haven't for much of the season. And it really stole the game for the Bills. Because the offense just didn't have it in the second half. You look at some of the 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 stats from what they did over that over that second half, like they had a, a, a couple of good drives, but they wound up scoring six points in the second half, which is not great. And you do have to give the Chiefs credit because they have a good defense. But without the kneel down plays at the end of the game, the Bills were averaging only 3.9 yards per play in the second half. And that's after having a lot of success in the first half. It was pretty much, a, you could you could tell there was a, a definite shift <clears throat> as to how the Chiefs were defending them and, and sending some pressure packages at Josh Allen, getting the defense off the field. In that first half, the, the Bills had averaged 5.4 yards per play, and that went down by nearly a yard and a half per play in the second half. So the Chiefs near, definitely found an answer and continued, and Steve Spagnuolo was very good at finding answers in-game and continuing to help his defense be at their best based on what he's calling. And they were a little banged up too. They were without their, their starting safety. Um, they did get Nick Bolton back, but that was only his first game back. So they, they had a couple of things working against them, but still they called a great game in, in the second half, which is why it underscores the entire point that the defense really stole this game down the stretch to allow only the 10 points after a good first half in which they only allowed seven. That's a full game effort there against a Chiefs team that should be scoring close to close to 30. You know, they have been struggling this season, but allowing only 17 points to a Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey-led offense is a huge, huge effort. So you have to give kudos to the players on the field. You have to give kudos to Sean McDermott for putting the the defense in a place. He said after the game that he had gone back in a very thorough study of tendencies in late-game situations, play calls, what has worked, and that he went back quite quite a ways in this bi-week project of his to figure out some answers. And it seems that they have found something, at least temporarily. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you have to give McDermott credit. And really with what has kind of gone down over the last 72 hours or so, maybe longer, because this all started on Thursday, McDermott being an embattled head coach, it has almost been a bit of a rallying effort around the head coach. They seem to be, at least temporarily, galvanized towards coming together and trying to prove the general consensus about them out there wrong. And that's something that we haven't seen, for the most part, from this Bills team since, you know, a bit earlier in in the um in this bills build thinking early like 2019 2020 hadn't really arrived just yet and i don't know that it's going to stick past a week or two but there's a clear sense within that locker room that they want to prove people wrong you could kind of sense it just based on watching the the post-game speech from Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean dropping an F-bomb in support of uh, in support of um, Sean McDermott in that post-game speech video. A guy screaming from the background about, we've got your back to, to McDermott. There has been a clear rallying around McDermott as their head coach to support him as their leader. So, very curious to see if that continues throughout the rest of the season. And if this somehow is the thing that pushes the right buttons for the Bills to realize their true potential in not only making it to the playoffs, but in becoming somewhat of a factor in the playoffs. But a long way to go before that. And we'll get into some of the the ins and outs of the current playoff race as it stands a little bit later. But yeah, this is a, it was an impressive showing by the defense. It was kind of a statement by the defense. And I think a lot of it was in support of their head coach. So we'll see if that continues. To the offensive side of the ball, because although the defense played wonderfully, The offense was a little bit head-scratching in a few different areas. I really liked what they did in the first half, and how could you not? I mean, they were getting – they were moving the ball down the field. They were were kind of getting the ball around. They, They really focused on getting the ball in James Cook's hands, which was good. He, in that first half, I think had nine touches and 
was averaging 12 and a half yards per touch, had the touchdown catch. It was clear he was their most dynamic offensive asset outside of Josh Allen. Like Allen made some great plays down the stretch and the throw to Deontay Hardy on a third down, even though it, it was on a, a, a on a drive that did not result in points, that ridiculous third down throw to Latavius Murray that wound up being uh, challenged and upheld. Like just some great stuff on third down, and that's the second straight game that happened with Allen. And, and again, I, I think I mentioned this on Friday, Allen just seemed lighter this entire week. Whether that's due to having the bye week or, you know, just brushing off some of the some of the, the tough games and coming forward with a couple of good offensive showings in a row before the bye. I think that certainly helped things. But Allen to me was Good in the sense that he was able to find targets, but I feel like they kind of missed the mark a little bit um, with just some of their usage. And most of it relates to James Cook. To me, when you see a guy who in the first half is averaging 12 and a half yards per touch, that's something that you want to dig into in the second half. And I guess to a certain degree they did. But in the first half, James Cook only took around 42% of the offensive snaps. Which is kind of mind-boggling because he was clearly one of their top three players on the field. Clearly one of their top two offensive players on the field. Him and Josh Allen. And to only have him on the field for 42% in the first half. And then for the game, only having him on the field for 45%. They only raised it to 48% in the second half. It's just very interesting to me. This overall fascination with Latavius Murray is something that has been everlasting. Something that they have justified with some plays that Murray has made earlier in the season. They have justified it with him being good in pass pass protection, excuse me, pass protection on third down. But it doesn't logically hold up when you're, and this goes back to the reason the um, I guess the overwhelming insanity behind benching James Cook for as long as that they as they did when he dropped a pass or fumbled a ball, keeping Latavius Murray on for plays on end on the field is making your team actively worse, and that's something the Bills have to try and avoid. Like crazy moving forward. I mean, they are clearly a different offense with James Cook on the field. There was a stretch at the end of the first half. Actually, on on the full drive at the end of the first half, Latavius Murray was the only running back to take a snap over those eight plays. And they did nothing with them. 
Sure, Murray is a, a better pass protector and can pick up the blitz better than James Cook. Can trust him more. But to take out that versatility from your offense just for that reason alone just doesn't hold up for me. So I think it was a missed opportunity for them to not utilize James Cook more. I mean, getting lower than 50% of the snaps is, I don't know if unacceptable is the right word, but something that should not be continued moving forward. And Ty Johnson gave them a little bit of a spark here and there. But I like Ty Johnson maybe in a smaller snap role, like five to ten snaps. Same thing with Latavius Murray, five to ten snaps. If you take a total of 20 snaps away from James Cook as opposed to the 41 snaps you took away from James Cook, that would have brought, let's see, that would have brought James Cook's overall snap share in the game to 73%. But they're just robbing themselves of these opportunities. You want your best players on the field. It's kind of similar to what we talked about early in the season with Dalton Kincaid. You could clearly see the talent was there. They just weren't getting him on the field and giving him enough opportunities. And once they finally did, he has become a staple of their their program. So from here on out, I think they should go full bore into James Cook because their overwhelming output in the second half on offense just did not cut it. Over that entire second half, they were only averaging 3.9 yards per play. Not good enough. Chiefs have a great defense, but you need James Cook on the field for more than 50% of snaps. It's pretty simple. So that's one of the things that I think can be improved with this offense. Another thing that kind of rang a little hollow throughout the game was their reinserting of 12 personnel, which was kind of expected with the uh, reintroduction of Dawson Knox to the entire offense and him bringing him back from injured reserve. This is the first time that they have bo- have had both Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid uh, on the field at the same time since week seven. But a lot of things have changed since then, right? I mean, you have Dawson Knox who has had statistically one of his worst seasons of his career. Dalton Kincaid has kind of proved himself to be a lot more than just a random rookie tight end. Uh, He has become a go-to target for Josh Allen. He has certainly earned his spot, earned his keep amongst the Bills' skill players. And a lot of times this season when the Bills' offense was struggling to get going, Dalton Kincaid was a key figure in trying to get them to, to bring things up. And then on top of that, Khalil Shakir was... A, a player that has stepped it up as the season has gone along to where he is that defined third receiver, that slot receiver for the Bills, and something that I don't know that they necessarily want to get away from with how he's able to maneuver down the field with yards after catch and everything along those lines. 
at least getting him snaps. So it was always going to be interesting to see how they would play it out because 12 personnel was something that has permeated within the building for years. And now with both Knox and Kincaid on the roster, it was a huge staple of theirs. But Kincaid changed. Knox went on IR. Shakir, his uh, arrival has helped change the equation a little bit. And he gets gets you working to a point where what would this look like, especially with a brand new offensive coordinator? You do have to wonder what is up Joe Brady's sleeve for the entirety of the season, but at least for this game, they went back to what they were ahead of ahead of Dawson Knox's injury. Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid chipped in on 12 personnel with both of them on the field for what I counted to be 23 out of 72 plays that counted, which is around 36%, I believe. No, I'm sorry, not 36. Terrible math. 31.9%. And on those plays in the first half, they were doing quite well with it. 10 times they were in 12 personnel. They gained 72 yards and a touchdown. So 7.2 yards per play. In the second half, they were on the field 13 times together in 12 personnel. 29 yards total, 2.2 yards per play, which brought their full game average down to 4.4 yards per play on 23 plays of 12 personnel with Knox and Kincaid on the field. So it was clear that the Chiefs kind of figured something else, figured something out from that perspective too. So it's a difficult question to answer moving forward because the Chiefs do have a good defense. And you don't necessarily know how committed the Bills will be to 12 personnel moving forward, especially because Shakir kind of took a step back in this game in snaps. He was down to around 60%. And you would have to anticipate that that kind of gets a bit lower the more they get they get Dawson Knox reacclimated. Knox played 48% of snaps by my count. And the Bills usually take it pretty slow with their players that have had a multi-week injury like Dawson Knox has. In, injured reserve was out five games, six weeks total. They're not going to put a full game script on him immediately. So what changes as they kind of move forward? Will they continue to do 12 personnel? The one thing that did not change, though, for the good, is that Dalton Kincaid's snap share stayed incredibly high. Right around that 80% marker, um, he was on the field constantly, either as the only tight end or in 12 personnel, they knew 
where their bread was buttered with Dalton Kincaid. They know he is one of their key players moving forward, and I don't think anything is going to change with that moving forward. So that's the pivot that we're talking about with James Cook. Like they they had to learn their lesson with Dalton Kincaid, and they had to learn that they were such a better team with him on the field, and that can't change moving forward. The same thing with James Cook. So if they can learn their own lessons from the lessons they've already learned, then that can help this offense become, I guess, statistically elite from a week-in, week-out basis, but to take your best guys off from time to time, just maddeningly inconsistent. Those are just some of the few things that have stood out to me, but now we need to take kind of a a bigger picture look at this, and I'll I'll keep this brief because I've got kind of a tickle in my throat. My voice is kind of going on me, so I'm going to get through this as quickly as as I can here, so I apologize for uh, maybe the the briefness of the remainder of this episode. But now the Bills are in a situation where they are sixth of six teams at seven and six in the uh, AFC wildcard. Get up. They're only a game out from Cleveland, who's the fifth seed at eight and five. And, I suppose if Kansas City or Jacksonville drops down, then they enter the equation too. But for now, they are division leaders still. So what I find interesting about the remainder of AFC schedules here is that one thing the Bills have is maybe a little unique to um, the rest of the teams. Of those eight teams that are right there clumped together for that wild card race, that being Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, and Buffalo. Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Houston, and Cincinnati. So six of those teams. I'm sorry. Five of those teams that we're talking about play each other twice. So Cleveland plays Houston and Cincinnati. Pittsburgh plays Indianapolis and Cincinnati. Indianapolis plays Pittsburgh and Houston. Houston plays Cleveland and Indianapolis. Cincinnati plays Pittsburgh and Cleveland. The only teams that do not play anyone in this cluster of teams is Buffalo and Denver. So this can be a good or a bad thing. I think it's mostly a good thing that the fact that the Bills don't play anyone else remaining in there because those teams can kind of cannibalize one another in not only the sense of win-loss record, but also conference record, which the Bills can start to gain a little bit more. And them being at four and five, they're now much more in the picture here. They get wins over the Chargers and the Patriots. That puts them at 6-5 and heading into the Miami game. So we can definitely see a path to them getting to the playoffs from that perspective. But they just have to handle their business. Will 9 or 10, 9 wins be good enough? 10 probably should do it in the the way that the AFC is setting up now. But I... I am viewing the fact that they don't play any of these other teams as an advantage. The only thing is Denver has that similar advantage and also has the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Bills. 
so the Dem- Denver has Detroit, New England, the Chargers, and the Raiders remaining. So if you're looking for a team to actively root against, it's probably the Broncos, just because their schedule kind of lightens up after the Lions. But be it as it may, this is a huge win for the Bills. One that they have to feel really darn good about because Kansas City is no joke. Even though their offense has taken a step back this year, they're no joke. What the Bills were able to do in going on the road in the regular season for the third straight time to beat this Chiefs team is a humongous accomplishment. And one that maybe can catapult them forward for the remainder of their season. So we shall see exactly what is made of this Bills team moving forward and whether or not they can use this game over the Chiefs to win against the Cowboys in a game that still counts for them, obviously, and it's a game that they would like to have, but it doesn't double count for the fact for them in the fact that it's not an AFC game, so it doesn't help their tiebreaker situation. But a win is a win, no matter what. It's going to be a tough game because the Cowboys just beat the Eagles pretty thoroughly, but one that the Bills, if they can go toe-to-toe with the Eagles and beat the Chiefs on the road, they can certainly beat the Cowboys at home. And then after that, Chargers on the road, the Chargers are a weird team. We have no idea if Justin Herbert will be playing in that game. He has the, the finger injury. Then the Patriots, which if the Bills lose to the Patriots twice in one year, <laughs> they don't deserve to make the playoffs. And then the ender at in Miami against the Dolphins, which should be a good one. So the Bills have every opportunity here. This win could be the catalyst. But they just have to handle their business. All right. Let's do awards very quickly so I don't lose my voice mid-podcast. Let's start with the uh, Matt Barkley Award for the player that caught you by surprise for a good reason. We'll go with Ty Johnson. I know he didn't necessarily have the huge, huge game, but, you know, getting nearly 20 snaps in this game. Good change of pace. Would like to see his role lessened a little bit. Or maybe the snaps from Latavius Murray go over to James Cook, like we talked about, but Ty Johnson has been a nice little find for them. And it's Ty Johnson that is really keeping Leonard Fournette off on the practice squad without a call-up because they've liked what they've seen from him. So Ty Johnson gets those honors. Uh, The Let's go with the Dree Archer Award for the player that did not show up at all in this game. Has to be Gabe Davis, right? I mean, he continues to be Feaster Famine. Zero catches, two targets, just a non-factor in this game. And to me, when you have uh, when you have this kind of disparity between great games and and you know just non-existent games. You definitely have to question whether or not that can be a long-term asset within your organization. So that's another conversation for another day, but Gabe Davis gets the Dree Archer Award. 
Vontae Davis Award for the player that did not show up in the second half. Well, not really player. I'll go with 12 personnel. It was there, but it wasn't there because, you know, they were only averaging 2.2 yards per play in the second half. 13 plays for 29 yards. I'm going to figure something out here and, and figure out how the Chiefs defended them so well on those plays because that is a somewhat untenable situation moving forward. Uh, how about the Blaine Gabbert award for perseverance? And, you know, this is a special one because Blaine Gabbert was in the building today. Blaine Gabbert award for perseverance. I think you got to give it to the defense in, in the fourth quarter, right? I mean, being able to buck their tendencies of allowing pretty big drives. And, you know, they almost did it again in a ridiculous fashion. Like that lateral play was one of those things where it's like, okay, that's why the Chiefs are the Chiefs. What other way? can they find to ridiculously beat the Bills? Like, <laughs> that's that's one that would have went down in in uh, in history for this season as maybe the play that sunk the Bills. But thanks to Kadarius Toney and his toe offsides, Bills don't have that fate. Even still, outside of that play, the Bills' defense in the second half, in the fourth quarter especially, did not allow a first a third down conversion once. Kudos to them for getting that done. And late in the game when they were going with guys like Taylor Rapp down at linebacker. Or no, I'm sorry. Jordan Poyer still down at linebacker. But Taylor Rapp and Cam Lewis as their safeties on the back end against Patrick Mahomes. That's some good stuff by the front four in, in uh, continuing to bring along pressure. And then finally, the... Uh, Gotta watch the tape award. Man. That's a good one. Just because there's just... Gotta watch the tape award is so open-ended. I don't know. Maybe I gotta watch the tape in being in the same building as, as Taylor Swift and, you know, not seeing her. Maybe I gotta watch the tape to see what exactly I did wrong. To, uh, I don't know. That's that's another story for another day. Um a shout out to Elena Getzenberg of ESPN and, and Catherine Fitzgerald of uh, of the Buffalo News, who were actually got the video of Taylor Swift, which is a pretty cool thing if, if you're a Swifty like uh, both my wife and I are. Um, but the Sean, the Sean McDermott got to watch the tape award. I don't know. Maybe it goes to just the overwhelmingly mediocre display on offense in the second half. I got to watch the tape to figure out what the heck happened there and why they needed a ridiculous play from from Josh Allen where he's basically with his backside to the out of bounds area to to throw it up on third down to uh, to actually move the ball down the field only getting 6 points in the second half I know the Chiefs defense is good but not that good. Not six points good. So, Bills have some things to figure out after a couple of good performances the two weeks prior. All right. My voice is leaving me. I'm thankful for it to get me this far. But 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Buffalo Beat. The Bills, 7-6. and six. They defeat the Chiefs 20-17, to 17, setting up for a very interesting final four games in which the playoffs are once again very much on the table. Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins. Win three of those, Bills are probably in. Win two, still could be in, but maybe murky. Win four, the Bills are definitely in. And they're 11 and six, and teams will probably be scared of the Bills. So a lot to be determined over these final four games, but we will be there with you every step of the way. So my name is Joe Piscali. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you later in the week leading up to the game against the Cowboys. See you then.